Well, good morning, New Hope. So glad that you're here this morning with us in person. And if you're joining us online, welcome into the house here at New Hope Community Church. We've come to meet with one another, encourage one another on, spur one another on to love and good deeds. We've come to receive the ability to do that, the power to do that and live right by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so welcome this morning as we continue in our series called Joyful, F-U-L-L. In our world today with the amount of anxiety, discouragement, the, the challenges that we have in our world, people need joy. They need to be full of joy. People desire joy in their life. And we have been looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi and how Paul is writing them and talking about his joy, regardless of life stuff. And when we started this series two weeks ago, up front here, I had a, a battery and an alternator. And I said that in order for that battery to maintain charge, it needs to be connected to the alternator. The alternator is what gives the battery charge when it's under load, when the car's driving, right? And Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, listen, in order for me to maintain joy and to stay encouraged, I need to maintain and be in relationship with others. I need to maintain and be in relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need to maintain my prayer life. And so Paul is saying, hey, I need these alternators in my life in order to keep my joy charge full. That is the goal. And that's why I can have joy, because I'm connected to others. I'm connected to God. I'm connected to prayer. Last week, I was in Isani, and I brought in my luggage. I brought in and some luggage. Thank you. And I was explaining that we had just gone away overnight, my wife and I, down in the cities for an overnight and that. And when we got home, we unpacked our luggage. We unpacked the dirty laundry in there and threw it in the washer, right? We didn't just come home and take the full packed luggage and just stick it in the closet. And I talked about how oftentimes when we're walking through trial and that, oftentimes we just sit it in the closet. We never unpack our trial. And then it just gets there and it gets stinkier and stinkier, just like if you came home from an overnight or vacation and you didn't unpack your luggage. You just like threw it in the closet. I mean, like who does that? Nobody does that. It's odd. But in Paul's letter to the church, he's talking about how he unpacked his trial, about how being in chains in Rome in prison and how as he unpacked that trial, he realized that trials bring triumph in our lives. That when something is taken out of our lives because of a trial, God brings something else in. He does like this miracle math. He takes negatives, he adds them up to positives. The Apostle Paul said, man, I learned in trials that my trust grew as I unpacked my trial, my luggage, right? And then he realized that I learned that through trials, there was great togetherness, 
that I was connected with others that encouraged me, helped me walk through this trial. And so throughout this book of Philippians, we are getting this picture of how is it we are to live with joy and be full of it, regardless of the world we live in. And so this morning, I want to talk to us about how we are to live and are we going to live like a jerk, okay, or are we going to live with joy? You know, I, I didn't get this shirt for like my birthday or Father's Day or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> and that I actually had it made for today and that, but uh, how is it we live amongst the world around us? Are we jerks or do we bring joy into other people's lives? It was interesting, my youngest daughter used to work at the Caribou in town here, but she got discouraged working there because people were so rude and they were sort of jerks coming through the drive-thru, uh, wanting their particular coffee. I know I'm talking to everybody in here, right? We all have our particular coffee, just like you all have your particular place you sit in at church, right? We're all in the same spots probably where we were last year, for the last year, right? But we like what we like. And if it's off, we get cranky or we can become jerks. And she'd come home. She says, man, I just was getting tired of getting yelled at and people being rude or, or people would pull around in that. They'd be halfway through their drink. They'd bring it in and say, this doesn't taste right. Something's off. And they're like, well, you already drank half of it. What do you mean something's wrong? And they, they'd want a new one. And obviously you had to mix them a new one and that. But who are we when we're out and about in other people's lives? Do we bring joy to their lives or are we jerks to them? And this morning, I'm focusing a little bit on illustration in the whole world of serving. You know, I, I heard oftentimes that Sundays are the worst days for servers. They're the worst days for waitresses or waiters to work. They don't like it. So I'm thinking, really? What? You know, really? And so I Googled, you know, Googled, uh, you know, the worst day to work as a waitress or waiter or servers. And truly, it is Sunday. Here's some of the uh, the, the blogs or the, the lines that uh, I had. It, it said, uh, servers hate Sunday, an indictment on Christians. And all servers agree. Sunday crowds are the worst. Why Sunday is the worst day for servers? Read that on a food blog and that. And, and this is what they, they say. The, the servers say, you get these big church groups that come in. You get these big parties come in, a variety of families together. And then they all want separate checks, okay? But then with that, they bring kids. And so sometimes the kids can get real messy, mess things up, just not tables, but the floors. So it just takes extra. They get cranky. Because in a larger group, usually they're hungry or their kids are hungry and that. And when you put in a big ticket, like with, you know, a dozen people, it just is naturally going to take longer to prepare the food and get all the food and the orders and the drinks and all those kind of pieces out to them. And so they get cranky. And then typically, honestly, they don't tip that great. They don't tip that great. Matter of fact, one server I read said, you know what, hey, you know, if, if uh, you're only going to tip 10% because that's all you do at church, 
well, maybe you should give more at church, you know, or just go through a drive-through, you know, whatever. Uh, these these comments, right? But I found it interesting that actually this pastor received a letter from a server at a local restaurant. A variety of his congregants went in. They went in right towards the end of the day when they were just ready to close. And they demanded that, hey, you're still open, you should serve us. They stayed extra long, made a total mess, left no tip, but they left invite cards to the church. Yeah, I'm glad you're understanding me here. Let's just, you know, I'm glad you didn't cheer or something, you know, that kind of thing. And so obviously the server knew who to write the letter to, right? <laughs> and the pastor read the letter in the service, which is good for him, right? And I'm not like saying you people are like this, right? But I'm saying we're like this at times. We need to be careful in how we're going to live, right? Are we going to be jerks when it comes to people's lives, or are we going to bring joy to their life, right? One server said this, I realize big groups, split checks, kids making messes, people being cranky and not getting tipped will we'll all be part of the job. But Sundays have all four of these things all shift long. I think it would be nice if Christians would make Sundays the best days for servers to work. How inspiring would it be and a great way to testify if servers did not dread working Sundays because those they waited on were so nice and generous. I mean, there, there were, on some of these sites, I mean, you know, hundreds of comments about this issue. And so how is it we're going to live, right? Are we going to live as jerks, or are we going to bring joy in people's lives? In the Antarctic summer of 1908 and 1909, Sir Ernest Shackleton and three companions attempted to travel to the South Pole from their winter quarters. They set off with four ponies who were carrying their gear. But weeks later, the four ponies died. Rations were exhausted. And so they turned towards their base, their goal unaccomplished. Altogether, they trekked 127 days. On the return journey, as Shackleton recounts in his book, The Heart of the Antarctic, he said the time was spent talking about food, elaborate feasts, gourmet delights, sumptuous menus, as they staggered along, suffering from dysentery, not knowing whether they were going to survive, every waking hour was spent thinking about, talking about, wondering about food. Jesus, who also knew the ravages of starvation and deprivation, said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we can understand Shackleton's obsession with food, right? They were starving, which offers a glimpse of the passion and the desire 
that Jesus wants for us when it comes to pursuing righteousness. Shackleton and his men daily thought about, dreamed about, were in pursuit of, we got to get back so that we can get food. And the parallel of this story is that Jesus' desire for us is to seek after righteousness, to, to run after it, like Shackleton and his men were trying to get after food. They were desperate for it. And so why do I bring this illustration up after talking about being a jerk or bringing joy into people's lives? It's because the next portion of Paul's letter to the Philippian church here talks about having joy in right living. He's talking about the fact of like, as we live right, we increase the joy in our lives. Right living or righteousness is not defined by us, but it's defined by God's moral or divine law, right? Left up to us, which is the world's challenge today, we sort of like to define things that work for us, right? But here Paul is saying, no, we are called to live righteously, right living, it's defined by God, his moral law, and as we live in that way, we will live with joy. I mean, I honestly believe people who are jerks aren't very happy people. Why? Because they have to continue to be jerks in order to satisfy themselves. They are super self-absorbed. But when we look outside of ourselves and we live what's right, we are filled with joy. And so in Paul's writing, he challenges the church in Philippi to first of all, follow his example, to be living like Paul. Let me read to you what he writes in Philippians chapter 2, or Philippians 1, 27. He says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Meaning, hey, whatever happens in life, live right. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And so he's saying, hey, continue to live right. Walk out what is right, even though you are going to be opposed by who? The world. He goes on in chapter 2, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and so he's saying, hey, if you have any kind of relationship, basically, with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he says, then make my joy complete, by what? Being like-minded. Let's be like-minded. Be like me in how we are to live. And he says, having the same love, let's have the same love. We have the same spirit. And let's be of one mind. Let's think the same together. And he goes on and he gives this picture now of how it is we are to leave being a jerk and bring joy into other people's life 
And he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, meaning, hey, it's not all about you. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have in our life is to look beyond ourselves, to look beyond our own situation. I mean, honestly, when sometimes I'm commuting to the cities and back and that kind of stuff, I have a hard time looking past my own vehicle and recognizing, you know what? Other people have places to go to. <laughs> Do you ever realize that? Sometimes it's all about me and I'm in and out and I'm thinking, come on, let's go pick it up and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's like totally about me, my schedule, where I need to be, right? And my comfort and the drive. And I don't realize that, wow, all these other people have life too. And they got stuff going on in their life as well. Because we can so easily become self-absorbed. When Paul uses this, this phrase here, same mind, in the translation in the Greek, it's the word proneo, which occurs actually around 10 times throughout his letter. He's constantly challenging us to, to have the same mind, the same thinking as him the same life. And he's challenging them to adopt this mindset, to leave their current mindset of being self-absorbed, of just looking out for themselves or, you know, being a jerk and just saying, hey, adopt this new mindset where you're actually now looking to the interests of others and you're bringing joy into other people's lives. Because as you do that, you'll be amazed that you are going to be bringing joy into your life as well. And so what is, Paul is asserting here is that if the believers live in this right way, they will gain the most from life. They will gain the most from life. And this actually fits the paradox Jesus stated about life, that if we want to gain our life, the best way to gain it is to lose it. In Matthew 16, 24, 25, Jesus said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so Paul is challenging the church in Philippi to adopt this new mindset, to think differently, and in thinking differently, to act differently as well, and to leave a life of being self-absorbed, all about us. If things don't align with exactly what we need and want, we can easily become jerks, as opposed to bringing joy in life to other people. But Paul starts with himself, but then moves on, and then goes to Jesus. So he says, hey, let's up the ante here. And I've called you, hey, to live like me, but ultimately we should be living like Jesus. And so he moves on and in verse five, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He uses this mindset again, this, this thinking, right? Again, because as we think, we act. All right? 
And so he says, who being in the very nature of God, he's talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see, even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he didn't use it to his advantage, his position, right? And so often we use our position to our advantage sometimes. And Jesus didn't do that. We see it in his life. We see it especially like when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying before he's going to the cross. And Judas comes with the crowd, the mob, to arrest Jesus. And he comes up and he kisses Jesus. Peter pulls his sword out, chops the ear off of a soldier in the mob. And Jesus says, hey, 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 put the soldier, put the, you know, your sword away, Peter. You know, and he, he finds the ear in the dirt and stuff. And he says, hey, just a second, guy. He's like, <laughs> right? But Jesus says, hey, listen, could I not, if I wanted to, because of my position, ask my father in heaven to send down 144 legions or 12 legions of angels, which is 144,000 angels. I mean, and angels like can kick our butt. And there's this mob of like 30. And so Jesus has this position, but yet scripture, Paul's saying, hey, he did not use it to his advantage at all. I love what this server says. This one server, restaurant, says, entitled Christians always make me so sad, yet I understand how one can get that way. It's easy to fall into the trap of considering yourself holier than another person or therefore treating them as less than you. God calls us to be as humble as we can be. Everyone would do good to include the litany of humility in their daily prayers, no matter their personal beliefs. Wow. This is a reflection from a server who's experienced jerky Christians and their take on that. And so when Paul is talking and writing about Jesus, who had the very nature of God, yet didn't use it as his advantage. He goes on and he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He went from the highest to the lowest, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so he made himself this servant. And so I believe when we go into a restaurant, and I'm just using this as an example of anywhere we should go, that we should actually outserve the server in that instant. We should outserve the server. We should use kind words in our interaction. We should be patient as they serve us because we don't know what's going on in the kitchen or if they're low on help, which is the case today usually. We should clean up our table before we leave. And so it makes it easier for them. They notice that. We should tip them well, or we should at least tip them on what is normal. And then we should 
be thankful to them or compliment them if they've done well. Give them a compliment on a job well done. This is what Paul is calling the church to, to be servants, to bring joy into other people's lives and not to be jerks. I find it interesting that Jesus left heaven to serve us and look how he was treated by the religious people. Not good. Just like some of these restaurant servers, waitresses, and waiters feel like when the church people walk through the door. They don't feel like they're treated very well at all. I mean, if Jesus blogged or posted an Instagram during his day, he maybe would be saying some of the same things that these servers are blogging and writing about when it comes to Sundays. And so Paul's whole challenge here to the church is look at how you're living how you live, if you pursue righteousness, in your pursuit of righteousness, living right, you actually will be joyful. You'll bring joy to your life because if we're going to live as jerks, jerks are not joyful. And so he's saying, live like me, look at my example, but ultimately, let's live like Jesus lived and follow his example of a servant and how he brought joy into people's lives. And then he goes on and he says, if we do this, then ultimately we will have this lifestyle. We will be living like stars, he says. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12, on, he talks about how if we live like he has lived, if we live ultimately like Jesus has lived, then we'll be living like stars. And he says this because when we became Christ followers, Jesus said, you are now light of the world. You are a city on a hill that people are going to see. And so as we walk out in our world, wherever it might be, whether it's in our restaurants or in our schools or in our businesses or in our neighborhood across our lawn, wherever it might be, we are supposed to shine. We are supposed to live like stars. We are supposed to be light in darkness. We are supposed to be opposite of the world. We are supposed to bring joy into people's lives and not be jerks. That's Paul's challenge. And so he goes on and he says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hey, continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. Continue to grow in your transformation. Continue to be less of a jerk and bring more joy to other people in your life. Get to that tipping point where maybe 51% of you is now bringing joy into other people's lives and you're only 49% a jerk. You know, whatever. I mean, whatever that percentage, I think it's probably different for each of us here in the room, and we can all self-evaluate that, right? And I think we probably have already like, hey, 
how am I out among people, right, regardless of where I am? To what percentage am I? Do I bring joy to people's life as I'm out? Or, boy, can I be a jerk to people? What does that look like, right? But he's calling us to work this out, but then he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And what's his good purpose? He wants us to shine like stars. He wants us to be light and darkness. And so God will do this work in us. That's the beauty of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. That we go back to Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, God who began a good work in you and me will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He will do this work in us. He will flip us from being jerks to bringing joy to people's life. And he will do this. Our role is to humble ourselves before him, stay before him, stay connected to him, allow the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, to to reshape us, transform us, so that we can be these living stars. He goes on and he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And so we need to invite Jesus to do this work in us. Bill Berg needs to invite Jesus and come on in and help me with grumbling and arguing. Help me to become blameless and pure without fault. Help me to look different from this warped world. But in that, to live a life of joy. Why? Because I'm living out what is right. And when we live out what is right, when we pursue righteousness, the next right thing, we get joy in our lives. Man, when we bring encouragement to others and bring a smile on someone's face, it brings us joy. But if we're a jerk, it just, it's like a disease in us, depletes us. And so Paul is challenging the church. And he's saying, hey, be more like me, but ultimately, beyond me, live like Jesus. But in order for us to get there, we need Jesus to help us work out this salvation, this transformation of our lives. The other day, I Googled Olympic coaches and Olympic athletes because I was curious if there ever was an athlete in history that made it to the Olympics without a coach. I was just curious, like these natural born athletes, uh, they had what it took, uh, the discipline, the encouragement, whatever, and they made it to the Olympics. And the articles I read, there's not one Olympic athlete who did not have a coach. And why is that? Because they wanted to become Olympic athletes they realized that if left to themselves and they were going to coach themselves, that in the end, they were going to just end up looking like themselves. But if they wanted to look, act, and perform like an Olympic athlete, they were going to have to hire 
an Olympic coach to get them there. And that is so true for us. That is what Paul is saying here. Hey, we got to work it out. The Olympic athlete has to work it out, but they need a coach to work it out in them and to train them and to encourage them and to help them to get to look like that Olympic athlete. And so my encouragement to each one of us here this morning is, hey, let's continue to work out our salvation, work out our character, get rid of being a jerk and bring more joy to everybody's life that we interact with. But the only way for us to do that is to continue to invite in our coach, the Holy Spirit, to transform us, who represents the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. And so my encouragement to each one of us is that Paul is writing us here and he's saying, listen, there is great joy in living right before others. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, never let anyone come to you without coming away better and happier. Speak tenderly to them. Let there be kindness in your face, in your eyes, in your smile, in the warmth of your greeting. Don't only give your care, but give your heart as well. And so my encouragement, my challenge to us in the room here is when people come to us, and are around us and interact with us, even if it's we're just walking through a line at checkout. After they meet us, are they better and happier? Are they better and happier? Are we living as jerks? Or are we bringing joy into the world around us? I can answer that for myself. I have to do some deep digging and reflection for myself. And I'm encouraging you to do that as well for yourself. Because ultimately, I believe and I agree with what Paul's saying here is that there is incredible joy by us living right and bringing that into other people's lives and leaving them better and happier. And so that's my encouragement to each one of us here this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you to do this good work in us. We can't do it ourselves. We'll just look like ourselves. But help us to be shining stars among the world light and darkness within our families, within our neighborhoods, our businesses, our schools, our community as a whole. We invite you to do this good work in us. In your holy name, amen.